Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Jamie Neely. Jamie is the Executive Director of the Federation of Women Contractors, FWC. She started her career in banking and then moved into the diversity space while at the Chicago Transit Authority, or for Chicagoans, the CTA. She's a huge nonprofit advocate and sits on what seems like every board imaginable, uh, across, across which one to highlight. Uh, she's the chairwoman of the Procurement Policy Board of the state of Illinois. Uh, she received her master's degree in public administration from DePaul University. FWC has 200 plus members, with 130 of those being women owned businesses or WBEs. Uh, and she's just really the person to know if you're in the construction space in, in Illinois. You should definitely know Jamie, and we're super glad to know her. So with all that said, Jamie, welcome to the show. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. Well, thank you for that introduction, Justin. Uh, really great to be on with you, as well as uh, Will here. You guys are have been really good friends and, and supporters of the industry, and so I look forward to today's conversation. Yes, we're very excited because you are really, you are in it. You are in it in every way. So tell us how you got in it. Let's let's hear your origin story. Tell us a little bit about that. And then tell us uh, a little bit of history about the uh, Federation of Women Contractors. Absolutely. So how I arrived here, right? So as you mentioned, spent uh, my first career in banking, uh, nonprofit banking, as well as business banking and very successful in that space. But then of course, economics or the economy happens and recession happened back in 2008 and uh, banks were failing and banking uh, just changed in general. And so that allowed me to change also. It, it allowed me to change, it allowed me to change my interests and where I wanted to pursue my passion. And so a lot of the time or during that time, the bank that I was working at failed and reopened as a new bank. And we were doing some small business lending and it just became very difficult for us to extend these loan facilities to small businesses. And so I didn't feel as great about the work at that time, but I wanted to continue to support small businesses. So my client at the time, uh, the Women's Business Development Center, were uh, or is and still is a historic organization that continues to advocate for women-owned businesses uh, in the Chicagoland area. And so I thought that that was a good segue uh, of, of my career to continue to support those small businesses, but in a different way. So instead of kind of denying loans left and right, I began to open up doors uh, through contract opportunities in both the public and private space. And so spent a few years over at the Women's Business Development Center before moving on 
to the Chicago Transit Authority, which is the third largest transit uh, agency in the United States, where I ran their, uh, where I managed their small business development and outreach team. That was an amazing experience, though short-lived during the pandemic, it allowed me kind of my 101 to construction. So at the CTA, we worked largely on what's called the Red Purple Modernization Project, the RPM project, which is CTA's largest uh, capital development project to history. And so it consumed a lot of construction opportunities. So a lot of working with both the design and the build side, many prime contractors, many subcontractors really allowed me to dive in to uh, construction, which then led me to where I am now at the Federation of Women Contractors. Uh, we are a 34-year-old membership organization, and as you mentioned, Justin, advocating for these women-owned businesses in construction. We kind of sit on three pillars, if you will. One, I like to say that we lead with legislation, right? So we're the organization that has a seat at the table at city, county, state, and federal levels to make sure that we're creating, uh, pushing, and or challenging policies and legislation to make sure that we're promoting the right and the more equitable opportunities for our women in construction. And so, and yeah, and so that's one pillar. Our second pillar is networking. We're making sure that we're connecting our members, our women-owned businesses to these construction opportunities, whether again, if it's public or private, uh, we just want to make sure that, you know, they have access to them and the appropriate contacts and and opportunities. And then lastly, we are supporting them in any way that we can. Oftentimes, I spend my day fighting or putting out fires and, and uh, being the face or the voice of some of our members uh, with solving issues like, hey, Jamie, I, I've invoiced uh, last year and I've still not gotten paid. And so I'm kind of the buffer for some of those conversations. But in all, we're just here to support our, our women-owned businesses to make sure that they're not only procurement ready, they're managing the contracts appropriately and they're succeeding on, on the projects, but also working with our partners, uh, the larger GCs, the owners, the developers, to make sure that they're aggressive and not only meeting these diverse spend goals that we have here locally in Chicago and the state of Illinois, but also that they're exceeding them and they're making uh, diversity as a part of uh, the fabric within their organizations. That makes sense. And I want to dive in or we want to dive in deep to each of these individually. But uh, just based on curiosity of the three, which which do you get the most praise for? Is it the legislation, the networking or the, the support? Jeez, that's a tough one. You know, I think the legislation is naturally the most important one. Right. We can network all day long, but unless we have the policies or the regulations in place that's really supporting the opportunities for us, you know, what are we networking about, right? Uh, but the most tangible and the most exciting, and to be frank, the the fun part of it, the more fun of it is the networking opportunities, right? It's the building the relationships, it's getting to know the right people uh, to expand businesses and, and business opportunities. So, um, you know, I'm a little biased for both of those, but I think they're equally important. Well, you seem like uh, the ultimate networker with all of your uh, memberships uh, that you're part of and boards you're part of. So that makes sense that it, 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 just, a, just a little bit of love there additional <laughs> to the rest of it. But let's let's start with legislation. So what so we talk about what what what's what has been done? What's the brass tax? What, what has uh, the FWC uh, accomplished? 
what haven't we accomplished here locally? Ooh, <laughs> love that. God, I love that. Yes. Yes. All right. Literally had a seat at the table since the origin of our organization and obviously why we, we started. I think where we've had the most success or where we kind of hang our hat on is about 13 years ago, uh, the FWC, we were instrumental in being one of the organizations that required uh, our local utilities here, utilities being our ComEd, People Gas, NICOR, Ameren, American Water, to just begin tracking and reporting their diverse spend. And diverse spend meaning anything that they buy, you know, within the construction project can be reported from tier one to tier down can be reported. And so as you can imagine, you know, 13 years ago, those numbers weren't what they are today, right? And they were pretty nominal. But because they had to continue to report at their annual reporting with the Illinois Commerce Commission, they wanted to improve those numbers year after year because of the, you know, the feedback that they would receive and or uh, just wanted to become more ambitious and, and improve those numbers uh, by the nature of the organizations. And so 13 years later, we're uber excited that these six utilities in the state of Illinois are now spending billions of dollars a year with small women and minority uh, businesses. And so those are the kind of policies or, or, or the legislation that we push to really uh, create uh, and, and see the tangible impact of, of the policies. 13 years to get to billions is, uh, is very impressive. That's, I mean, I, I, always, I, I always look at the math on a billion because it's like, we don't quite, we quite don't get the concept because <laughs> we're like, it's a lot. Like it's, it's a, a whole bunch. It's a lot. So uh, congrats to, to y'all. That's, that's amazing. It is. And, and you know, it, it, that and then some, right? And so we take that model and uh, just this year, we, we filed a couple of bills to do some similar things. Um, <clears throat> one being for the private sector. Uh, being private healthcare, private uh, higher education, uh, the gaming uh, private sector to now also start tracking and reporting their diverse spend, right? And so hopefully uh, we have this conversation another, hopefully it won't take 13 years for them to get to that billion, but, you know, uh, maybe in a few years we'll have a similar conversation to say, hey, these private sectors, uh, private sector institutions are also doing X amount of spend uh, with women and minority contractors. But, you know, I think all of these bills and all of this legislation, I say this with ease, but we file bills and we may not always get the support that we want. And so uh, having true partners uh, within the city of Chicago, within the state of Illinois, uh, that really understands the true economic impact of these opportunities, right? I like to say, yes, these opportunities benefit our members, but when you extend these contract opportunities to women and minority contractors, they then go on to employ uh, women and minority employees or tradespeople. Uh, those tradespeople then buy and spend within the communities in which they live. And that in totality creates true economic impact. And I think that's what the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois is, is really looking for. With the economic impact that you're having, how does that translate Kind of at home. Is it is it a direct benefit to the members? Is it a direct benefit, or is it more of an indirect benefit when we talk about the le legislation, right? Because it's, sh it's shared. 
That's a good question. Well, I think that it's a, it's a collaborative effort. And because it's a collaborative effort, I think we all inherit the benefits of it, right? And so for our members, like I mentioned, you know, if they get the contract, it's a big win for them. But it's a bigger win when they're able to employ uh, underrepresented individuals, right? It's a bigger win for the legislator who was support in a bill that allowed these opportunities to happen. Um, it's a benefit when our, you know, employment rises for the state of Illinois, it's, you know, it, it just goes on and on. So I think because FWC is a collaborative organization, meaning we just don't go after things because it benefits our members. We want to make sure that it benefits and it, and it contributes to the entire economic system. Right. And so um, I like to think uh, if, if we win, everyone wins. What, high tides rise all ships, man. I, I butcher that quote all the time, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, one one that you had mentioned uh, before was bonds. So like having the bond threshold. Can you talk more about that? Uh, and if if that's not enough information to remind you of what it is, I can I can pull a little bit more uh, from my notes. No, that's a good one, uh, Justin. And it's 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 a controversial one that we have in this session. But again, it's it's something that that will create more opportunities and, and entry to the industry. And so what we're asking our state legislation is to increase the bond requirement from where it is today is at $50,000. And our initial ask uh, was to increase it uh, to 5 million. And while we knew that that perhaps may be very aggressive in number, we know that we had to start the conversation somewhere, right? And so the, the ideology or the thought behind that ask is that, you know, bonding capacity or bonding in general as as great and needed as we understand it to be, right? We need bonding. We understand the scrutiny. It pro promotes uh, safety for, for our contractors and for the businesses. And when I say safety, meaning they're keeping contractors uh, within their scope, within their right size opportunities. Uh, they're protecting, you know, obviously uh, mitigating some risk for both the subs and the primes and the owners. And it has its true benefits. But it is also what we see as a, a wealth-based barrier, meaning if I'm a small woman contractor, uh, I have to have X amount of dollars of, of this contract value in my bank account in order for me to get bonded um, to go after this project. If I have a particular bonding capacity, I am then limited to that bonding capacity for work, meaning I may be uh, hesitant to bid on multiple projects in fear if, I, if I'm awarded both of them, I may not be able to bond them. And so we thought if we increased uh, this $50,000, which had been decades since it had been touched, to a higher number, that it will... Uh, open up more uh, capacity for small women and minority contractors. And so, you know, initially we got a lot of opposition um, from our partners. We have uh, surety bond firms within our membership too, that we look to them for the information. Hey, this is what we're trying to solve. Perhaps, you know, what what's a happy medium for everyone? And so, you know, I think one thing that we all agreed on is that the $50,000 hadn't been touched in years. And so it was about time for that to be considered. Where the disagreement lived is that, hey, Jamie, five million from 50,000 is, <laughs> is a stretch. 
And so uh, we're still working through it through legislation and having conversations with our partners. Uh, but we hope that there is some change and we hope that the community and the industry understands what we're doing and why we're trying to do it. And I'm, and I'm quite certain and, and confident that we'll come to some grips of a number. I'm also certain it won't be the five million, but I'm certain that it'll be an increase from the 50,000. Well, you got a lot of room in between those two <laughs> numbers. So I, I hope uh, if for everyone's sake that we can you can find some common ground between there and there. So, OK, that's it. But 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 that's just, you know, another example of, you know, us just trying to remove barriers. Right. And, and yep. make sure that there are equitable opportunities for all of our contractors in the industry. No, that makes sense. What what other legislation is going on? What else is happening? You guys are very busy in that in that space. So what what else is happening? That's it. Um, we are very busy. We had about six bills filed. Uh, mostly this session, aside from the bond requirement bill, we're centered around reporting. And so another okay. reporting bill, uh, we were successful a couple of years ago in passing legislation that requires our local municipalities with tax levies greater than $5 million to begin tracking and reporting their diverse spend. So for those who are not from Chicago and or even Illinois, uh, most out-of-state folks think Chicago is Illinois, but we're just a small piece <laughs> of it, right? And so, a small, big piece of it. Let's be clear about that. Piece. You're absolutely right. But, but, but if you look at the map, we're literally yeah. right in a small piece of the corner if you you know look at the rest of the state. And so you have these other local municipalities that are governed and they have their own budgets and their own spend and their own capital and construction needs. And so uh, we, we similarly ask them, hey, much like the city of Chicago, which is massive and has had their minority and women business enterprise uh, program for a few decades now, uh, these local municipalities are, you know, they're, they're not there yet, right? And so through this legis legislation a few years back, we asked for them to just merely start tracking and reporting. No mandated goals, uh, you know, not going through the process of having a disparity study or et cetera, but just, hey, you, just start tracking and reporting. And so this year, and so that bill passed a couple of years ago. And so now we're like, okay, the bill passed, but who's actually tracking and reporting? And if they are, where's it going? And so this year we asked, uh, we uh, filed a bill for those reports to go to what's called the Commission of Equity and Inclusion. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, no, we, we're asking for those reports to go to our state's controller's office. Uh, where our local governments are already filing their financial reports there. And so, uh, you know, just a little add-on, you know, report, just send over your diverse spend. And so that way we can have a consolidated area of, hey, let's go out. We have somewhere where we can review it, but also we have some oversight to review those numbers to make sure that they're, you know, you know, where are folks, where are these local governments spending? Who are they spending with? How can we assist them with more uh, diverse spend? But without, you know, some structure to the reporting, things kind of get lost along the way. And so uh, a lot of our, 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 our bills this, this session were, were centered around uh, more centralized reporting systems for, for our agencies. You can't prove what you don't measure, right, Will? That's, uh... That's right. That's right. You got to be able to measure it in order to improve it. So 
those are those are great measurables, great KPIs, and you got to start somewhere. So, what that's definitely one way to one way to improve. So we talked a lot about legislation and sort of that first pillar. Let's talk a little bit about networking. It's your second pillar. Tell us what is FWC FWC doing there, uh, force members, and and even if it's beyond the membership, talk what you're doing there. Yeah, we we are just connecting our members to all of the opportunities where possible. Uh, we do that in multiple ways. Uh, one, uh, we host a monthly membership meeting that is also open to non-members uh, over at what's called the East Bank Club here in Chicago, Illinois. And we invite presenters. It can be government agencies, private institutions, developers, whomever may have the contract opportunities to come in and present on what, what the project looks like, uh, what are the diversity goals, who are the contacts that uh, our members may need to know, uh, what's the process of getting into their, uh, their database or their supply chain, et cetera. And so we do that every month. And based on obviously the timeliness of the projects, we, you know, we like to say if you're waiting until the solicitation is out on the streets to get to know these folks, you are a day late and a few dollars short. And wow. so we want to make sure that we get these opportunities in front of our members sooner. And so we, we, we do that by way of our monthly membership meeting. We also do Meet the GC events um, like this Thursday. Tomorrow we have a Meet the GC at one of our award winners uh, last year, George uh, Solid Construction Company, for our members to come out to their offices, get to know them, take a tour of their office, get to meet their estimators, right? Oftentimes when we're at these big, massive or mega events, uh, great personnel, right? You get great representatives, but getting to know the estimator who's crunching the numbers and and it, and getting to, allowing the estimator to get to know the business and their stories and and understanding that being a woman contractor in this industry is has its differences and has its challenges, right? And so perhaps that makes a difference when you're back in the office and you're crunching those numbers. And so having those uh, those office hosted events at at our GC partners uh, is is another way that we do that. Then we also have educational training. So we lean lean into some of our larger contractors for for education for our members, right? For our women-owned members. members. They've grown. I, I like to say every big, big business starts small. So they've grown. They've, they've went through the headaches. They've bumped their heads. They've learned their lessons. And so if they can part that information to our, our scaling WBEs or women-owned businesses, we lean to them for that. So an example of that, power construction, uh, they they do a lot of healthcare work, and so they had a you know an intimate group of FWC FWC members to say how do you pivot into healthcare, and so what I learned there we had a couple of members that were already doing business with power construction, but at the at the airport right on the aviation side, but how do I now pivot this into healthcare? Healthcare building is different right? There are different safety requirements, um, et cetera, et cetera. So. Another way, you know, by way of education that we leverage uh, networking. And then we have what our annual awards event, uh, which is called Women Rock. Uh, and if you yeah. have not attended, it is the most anticipated uh, networking event of the year. Um, it's going to be held actually uh, a Wednesday uh, this year, June 7th at Offshore Rooftop at Navy Pier. Uh, our annual awards event, we recognize kind of the 
the major projects or individuals uh, within the industry as well as elected officials. It attracts over 500 industry representatives for even a networking, fun, dancing, drinking, eating. It's a time to be had. And so we like our event uh, because, or we brag about our event because in construction, there's a lot of golf outings. And so while we love oh, golfing, yeah. <laughs> um, this is our way of, you know, doing something a little different with a little bit, you know, more fun, let loose because construction can be uber serious and very focused. And so, so yeah, and then we have ad hoc opportunities. We're always listening. We're always being responsive to what our industry and what our partners and what our members need. And so where we see possible and where we see fit, we'll curate, you know, any other networking opportunity to do so. Can you give some examples of like the educational uh, sort of speakers uh, and engagement that you've had uh, in the past and maybe what you're looking for towards the future? Yeah. So this one may excite you, Will. Uh, we have had uh, cybersecurity uh, folks Woo! come in <laughs> to talk about, you know, during the pandemic, particularly, we had a couple of contractors that, uh, you know, that experienced cyber attacks and it was very new, I think, to our industry. You hear about it in these mega companies, but we don't necessarily experience it as much, you know, or hadn't at least for then. And so we we brought in uh, and, and had some conversation about how do you protect the business? Why are you a target, right? Most small businesses think I'm small. Why do they want me, right? And so cybersecurity, prevailing wages, you know, that's a thing, Um like I mentioned, how to pivot into different areas of construction is always a good one because uh, as a scaling firm, you come in, you find your niche and your niche is working and it's good. But I think with anything, you always want to diversify your portfolios, right? And so trying to figure out a way to pivot into a different sector or industry is always great. And uh, yeah, and then legislation, we, we have presenters come in and talk about what is legislation, or if there's a piece of legislation um, that isn't necessarily clear or just easy to digest, right? Which legislation usually isn't. Um, we'll invite. <laughs> I will say that's just the definition <laughs> of legislation, I believe. <laughs> that's it. Uh, we invite uh, subject matter experts, right? So in in this session, we're having, you know, we have the bond bill, and so we we, we call in our surety bond partners. Hey, can you tell our members what does this mean to them, right? And what will this look like? And and so, you know, we, we, we don't pretend to know it all, but we have a huge network uh, where we're able to tap into and uh, extend that, those educational component, components to our members. Well, that is a boatload of information right there. It's, and it's a really wide variety of topics, right? I mean, everything from cyber to uh, really the financial components to even the political side, right? And how it affects the business. So awesome. Uh, seems like a really great diverse resource in being able to really edu help education uh, of just for FWC in general and anyone that's kind of in that membership. It's a great way to level up. So huge kudos there. I want to also talk a little bit about the support side. So that's your third pillar, right? Can you, and you talked even about fires. Okay. So we want to hear about this. What does that actually mean? What are you doing in terms of support uh, for for its members? And what does it actually mean that you're putting out fires? Firefighter over here. Oh, man. <laughs> Call Chicago FD. <laughs> <laughs> 
another job title. I'm ready yeah, for that's it. That's right. <laughs> no. So, you know, imagine being a, a small business, right? Particularly a woman-owned small business. Uh, you are sub to, you know, perhaps a, 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 obviously a large GC. Uh, that GC is a prime to this owner, whether it's a, a private institution, government agency, or developer. Um, and so, and 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 you ex- as a small woman contractor, you're experiencing challenges on the job, right? And that challenge may be, um, you know, maybe contract. Uh, you, you interpreted the contract one way; the owner interpreted or the prime interpreted the contract another way. It can be, uh, Jamie, I've not gotten, as I mentioned earlier, I've invoiced over a year ago and I've not gotten paid. Uh, they're holding my retainage. Um, it can be, geez, I can, I can go on. And so I, it, it becomes difficult for our smaller firms to be aggressive in some of those conversations in fear of, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, Jamie. I don't want to get blackballed. I don't want to upset my my GC prime or the owner or the developer. However, I still want to get paid or I still want to solve this issue. Uh, can you help kind of mitigate this, right? And so oftentimes I am the face or the voice uh, for our members. So, you know, to, to make sure that the relationships are still intact in a positive way, right? Um, by all, But also find the solutions for whatever problems that uh, maybe existing at the time. And so I do that with much pride because, you know, what my members, my my women owners face every day, um, they are boots on the ground owners, right? And it, we just had our, our uh, FWC board member board meeting on yesterday. During the meeting, they're getting calls, things are happening. They're boots on the ground. They're doing the work. And so where I and this organization can step in and provide assistance to make sure that these projects go on seamlessly, that everyone's being treated uh, fairly, these contracts are, are 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 being you know held to compliance. I find great joy in that, and it helps me sleep better at night, uh, much better than denying these loans. But it, so it all helps. that was going through my brain right now is like, <laughs> I'm done denying loans. How can I help? How can I completely switch the pendulum to the other side? <laughs> That's it. And then you, we talk about loans capital. It's a huge thing, right? Um, women uh, businesses do not uh, receive capital as men businesses do. It's, 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 it's statistically um, proven. And so, you know, that's another thing, you know, that's something else that we step in. Or when you ask, well, you know, subject matter experts to education, we're bringing in financial people to talk about SBA loans or access to capital or force bonding as a, as a source of capital as well. But yeah, so all of these things are, are, are very instrumental for our members, but sometimes are very sensitive uh, to, to doing business. So thinking about small contractors and and dollars right cash flow especially in construction is king like you need like you need that it's the blood of the company getting paid just getting paid like how can i get paid i just want i just i've done the service you know 6 months ago how i just would like to be paid for the the service i've done so what is the current you know recommendations that you're kind of uh putting up i know you'd mentioned that the 3 Cs being a big staple for you can you talk more about that Yep, the three big C's, uh, contracts, 
contacts and then capital. Uh, capital is huge, right? As a former banker, when we receive, uh, you know, loan applications from contractors, particularly that would do public work, we would open up the books and we would see their ARs being, you know, 90 days and beyond. And it created heartburn for bankers. And we would close those, you know, close those books and close the application and, 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 and wouldn't be able to extend those loan facilities, right? However, it isn't the small business fault. Right. They shouldn't have to be banker to delay payments or late payments. Right. They shouldn't have to suffer those late payments, uh, put these small businesses in, in cash flow crunches. Right. Um, at, we would always say as bankers, get the line of credit when you don't need it, because when you need it, the numbers look terrible. Right. Um, and you're less likely to get it. And so just coaching our, our members up on things like that, bringing in those bankers, those financial institutions to make sure that um, they understand construction, right? I think banking is, uh, or a banker is one thing, but when you're a banker that understands construction, the cycle of construction, the payments of construction, yep. it, it's a different scenario and relationship. And so, you know, we, we support our members by bringing in those networks. And we have partner uh, banking institutions like Wintrust Bank. They have a construction and uh, engineering uh, division that's very close to our organization and provide, you know, subject matter expertise on certain topics, but also, you know, are really good at understanding our space enough where loan facilities aren't as difficult to, 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 to get through. Um, so yeah, capital is huge. Uh, capital is, is what keeps our businesses going. And so there's always, so even, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to the bonding, right? So even when you think about bonding and how that impacts the cash flow. If my if I'm not getting paid, which means my 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 financials look pretty bad, then if I look pretty bad, I can't go get particular bonding. And then it creates this whole bottleneck of cash flow opportunities, right? So right. they all kind of coincide and impact one another. And so where we can, you know, you know, plug in a fix, whether it's bonding, whether getting them capital or more importantly, getting them paid on time. Uh, we'll, you know, we try to figure out, you know, where we can actually create opportunities to, to create us all. Hey, everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something that gets you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. We should have you back on and we can break because you 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 were you were in banking, right? So like you you, you the finance side you completely got, right? I I would love to know like how would, if you could wave the magic wand over the industry, how do you solve the dollar problem? Because it's across the board. Obviously, women in minority businesses are impacted heavier on this, but like this infects just across the board. Any small owned business is, is you know, handcuffed essentially to the cash flow that seems like forever from, from you know, actual product or service being done to actual delivery of payment is 
to me and Will, it's like, does it make sense? Why would anyone be in construction? Like, this doesn't make any <laughs> sense. No other business allows this type of behavior. So uh, I feel like there has to be a solution. And and you you're you got the legislation side too. Maybe we could change the world here. Like, I think that that's a possibility. You know, our podcast, World's Changed for Construction Across the Board. That's all I'm looking for. That's, that's it. It's easy, Justin. No, exactly. but I... I think each of those entities are, we're still all accountable for something, right? So mm-hmm. In order, I wish there was a one, a, you know, one solution to fix it all. But I think for public agencies, they need to pay on time. I mm-hmm. think for bank, the banking industry, they, they need to understand that not every business fits in this box, right? Um, every industry looks different. Every business looks different. And lending uh, should not just be very restrictive to a particular box. And then our small businesses, we should be accountable to make sure that our books and our numbers are, you know, are are good, right? And mm-hmm. and, and 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 present it well, and uh, we're we're keeping up with it, and and we're looking and having conversation. We're building banking partner relationships, and we're in conversation with our accountants. We understand what our accountant is doing. Uh, so I think there's accountability on every aspect of it. But I like to start with getting our folks paid on time. <laughs> yeah, it seems simple. It seems like it's such a simple concept. <laughs> and I and I think uh, you know our 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 incoming administration, uh, Mayor elect Brandon Johnson. He was a commissioner for Cook County. I think he's familiar with you know payment issues, and and I hope that uh, that's you know one of many uh, uh, things that he prioritizes that that will help our industry uh, function better. So we heard about the three C's, capital, contracts, contacts. I think I reversed the order there. Um, okay. But uh, but uh, the three C's are super important uh, uh, in terms of really, sounds like from your banking expertise is just sort of being able to get ahead of the ball game a little bit. There's one other issue that's in the, that's in the industry, which is the people, right? There's a, feels like a shortage of people across the board. Is there anything that FWC is doing to kind of help that out for future generations? Yeah, uh, well, that's that's been a concern, right? I think there's been a what we call a labor shortage mm-hmm. uh, in the industry for quite some time. And I think we are all experiencing it has gotten even worse since the pandemic. Uh, just by nature of people decided to do other things in their careers or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so with all of the major projects that are coming down the pipeline in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, you have uh, we have a new casino that's historic to the city of Chicago that's coming down. We have uh, the continue continuation of Lincoln Yard. Uh, we have 78 uh, that's still on the table. Uh, you have these large and mega projects. And so that that we're going to need people to work on these job sites. We're going to need women and minority contractors on these uh, projects. And so the FWC is working uh, to try to build a stronger pipeline of women-owned businesses in the industry so that, you know, these multi-year projects, 10 years from now, they're still you know, wealth of women-owned businesses that are performing on these job sites. And so uh, we're doing that 
by connecting to some of these uh, other organization, advocacy organizations like YWCA. Uh, they have a, a few construction programs from uh, working with young girls in, 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 in elementary and high school to uh, women in the trades have a pre-apprenticeship program to women that start in their own construction businesses. Uh, we're working with them. We're working with organizations like Chicago Women in Trade, CWIT who has a robust uh, pre-apprenticeship program that are really, uh, and have been for many years, uh, getting uh, more women onto the job sites. Uh, but our conversations with them are a little different. Like, hey, we need you on the job sites, but also have you thought about, you know, having your own business one day and what does that look like? And and though it may be, it may not be an immediate thought today, but perhaps, you plant the seed today, but in five years, as they become journey women and they begin to, you know, uh, scale in their careers, maybe they'll think back to that moment as, hey, I'm ready to start this business. And so I think, you know, we're keeping that conversation on the forefront. Our members are really great at, at reaching back and, and keeping the door open for more uh, women-owned businesses and more women in the trades to come in. Uh, and we have to look out for each other, honestly, uh, in order to con continue this pipeline. And so we're working in any way possible, and we're open to different ways of working with organizations. But uh, there's just so much work coming down the pipeline. Our, our fear now is that we may not have enough women, uh, women, you know, in the trade or women-owned businesses to go after all of this work. Yeah, because, I mean, schools have even cut back on just trades. Like, it's just... And I, I don't have the, st the stats to it, but like it is a thing that has been cut. Like it's, or are we going to cut from a school program? Well, maybe we're not going to do woodshop, or maybe we're not going to do some of these other trades that you know, welding or something like that, where could just be the exposure necessary. And then obviously having groups uh, like you mentioned to kind of give that exposure, it it doesn't have the same impact of you know just Chicago public schools, just take just that, right? Like would be such a massive exposure. A any legislation possible for that? Like, hey, we got to put trades back in schools. Let's get it done. Come on. You know, what's the saying? You can't, you can't be it if you don't see it, right? Or mm -hmm. you can be it if you see it. And so, as you mentioned, like taking, you know, the trades out of our Chicago public schools, it was detrimental to our industry. And so we're looking at 15 plus years of a, of, of an absence or a void of building that potential pipeline of uh, of people in the trade or, 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 or owners, right, at some point. And so we're fortunate to still have these, you know, other organizations that are supplementing that. But I think it's a conversation that's happening, you know, whether it's us pushing legislation or, you know, the city of Chicago or CPS is understanding that that huge of a void i think the conversation is picking back up and people are understanding the value of of having that in our school systems little short story or quick story in our family right i grew up at two undereducated parents uh who worked blue collar jobs who literally worked and lived paycheck to paycheck to just put their three kids through what they consider good education to get us off to college so that we can have these good corporate jobs. And I use my air quotes, right? So that was their dream. Because they were blue collar employees, they 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 thought the path for us was college and professional careers, which they were super successful in. And I applaud them for all of their hard work. But along the way, when I was in college, 
Um, my sister, who's seven years younger than I, she's in high school at the time. She comes and her friend's mom had some construction gear on. And apparently she thought that was the flyest thing ever. So she comes to me and says, hey, Jamie, I want to be in construction. And shamefully today, I can say shamefully at that time, I kind of shunned the idea of her going that path. Because again, our parents were so diligent in saying, hey, you, you, you know, you go to college, you get this corporate job, and that's the path for you. And during that time, construction was not or the trades weren't in our schools anymore. So I didn't have a concept of what that was or the true opportunities that it may have presented to spread that information to my younger sister who was aspiring at that time. Needless to say, she uh, did not get into construction, probably my fault. But the family joke is that now here I am uh, leading an organization of women in construction. And so life really comes full circle. But I think the value in that lesson for me is that if you don't if you don't see it, you can't be it. And because I did not see that in my schools, I did not see that in my neighborhood. I didn't see, you know, people that look like me on the job sites. Uh, I didn't, I, I had no concept of what path would I take to get that. And so I couldn't share that with my younger sister. And so she's good. She's, she has a really great uh, career. Uh, she's an educator for Chicago public schools here. And so uh, she's working alongside the Obama presidential center to get her kids over there in their trades program. So it comes full circle. Everything's fine. We love each other still, but all of that to say uh, getting, you know, getting opportunities and particularly our members. And so when we have our members to go out and talk to young female youth about these opportunities, it's really just to show them representation matters. And because you're seeing it now, believe that you can also be it later. Bring back the trades to the schools and it'll be a full circle of like, I got denied this. I brought it to others. It's a, like, you know, I, I'm all about like the full movie ending, happy <laughs> ending story. So that's that's really, really cool. Awesome. And thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. Like a lot of people would kind of like, I'm not going to mention that I was not always as high on construction as I am today. So uh, I love that. I love the candidness and uh, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't say I appreciate it more than that. So yeah, it, it's a big lesson to learn. You know, I don't feel great about it saying it, but I, I, I understand the value of it. And, and perhaps, you know, if that's something a young girl is interested in, she should absolutely yeah. go for it. And and because I've learned that lesson, I'm that much more passionate and spreading the words of the opportunities in our space. Yeah. Well, hurrah for that. Uh, yeah. we, sh we should definitely connect you to Tiffany Sharp over at Sharp Construction. She's got a very, yeah. very similar uh, message. So one awesome. of our previous podcast hosts, or excuse me, guests as well. So, all right, we're running a little, uh, a little low on time. So I want to get, uh, get through a couple of questions here. And we always like to talk about the three pillars, people, process, technology. We've talked a lot about people. We've talked a lot about a process, three Cs, et cetera, technology. Where do you see or what are you seeing regarding to technology and construction? Well, I mentioned earlier, obviously, uh, cyber attacks have become a thing, right, in right. our space. And, and, uh, and, and I kind of understand how small businesses become the target to larger targets, right? So one may go after small business to get to the government agency or to get to that large institution, et cetera. So because that's become a thing that's been a big conversation, right? How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our businesses and our stakeholders, the folks that we're doing business with and interacting with? 
through our through our technology. Another kind of technology conversation, if you will, is the various platforms or softwares that you have to use to do business, right? If you do business with, you know, five different agencies, they each require five different systems and platforms. And sometimes they don't speak to one another. And how do you, you know, how do you find the right software to use that kind of works harder for you, you know? And so having those conversations, technology, I think also coming out of the pandemic, you have this, um, I don't know if it's the pandemic or this generation, but of of employees, you know, wanting to work remotely more, Um, you know, construction used to be in the office, on the job site, not a question at all, right, where you were, but now there are more, hey, I want to work from home or, you know, so how do you, again, protect, you know, protect, but also promote good technology to make sure that the consistency and the quality of work is still there. Do you want to talk a little bit uh, about, because you had, when we spoke before, you talked a little bit about uh, NIST. Do you want to talk about what that is, how it applies to the construction uh, industry and everything that you just talked about? Yeah. So I learned a little bit about NIST through uh, when I worked at the Women's Business Development Center, I was the director of what's called PTAC, Procurement Technical Assistance Center. And it's a federally funded program by way of DLA or was at the time, at least. Uh, And so we learned, obviously, a lot about the federal requirements. And one federal requirement for federal contractors is that they are compliant with what's called NIST. And I know, Will, you're probably far more familiar with the technicalities. But Mm -hmm. from my understanding, there's a a list of 120 uh, compliance items that a business has to check, whether it's password protection or all the way to very, very technical pieces uh, that I probably can't articulate. But nonetheless, businesses are are expected to not only uh, be compliant to this, getting, getting verified to be compliant is very costly, right, for each business. And so uh, some businesses, you know, try to avoid it. But what we're understanding is that that federal requirement is there to protect not only the small business, but to protect these government, the government, the federal government agencies. Because what we're finding is that these folks are are creating cyber attacks to the small businesses, getting to their systems just to get to, you know, XYZ government agency. And so what we think is that it's evident, right? We turn on the news and we're saying, you know, this large government entity is getting hacked. And so we are learning that, you know, local government isn't too far off. And so these federal government requirements will probably soon trickle down to local government requirements mm-hmm. and or even mm-hmm. public public sector requirements, right? Because at this point, I think everyone's kind of in protective mode. They want to protect their systems. They want to protect their people. They want to protect their, their dollars, et cetera. So yeah, I, I understand it to be very costly, but very necessary. And, but, you know, it also does not eliminate these firms who may pay the money to become compliant. If you still, if you, if you're breached, you're still on the hook for any, you know, for any, um, for any complications there. And so we're also encouraging to get cyber insurance, which isn't always uh, covered in, in business insurance plans. And so, 
you know, again, these are conversations. We talk about subject matter experts that we're bringing in to talk about. When you're talking about putting out fires, when I get a call on a Saturday and say my systems are locked because I got, you know, attacked, you know, these are the day-to-day issues um, that that we that we're that we're facing, right? That that I think our world, but particularly our industry, are up against in this more tech technology-driven world. Just for our listeners, NIST is uh, short for National Institute of Standards and Technology, and there's a compliance called NIST 800-171. Essentially, it says that if you're working with uh, the federal agencies, and there might be a version of that that comes down to the local government, but it's a uh, sort of a national standard that in order in order to be able to work with uh, federal institutions uh, or agencies, you need to be under these compliances. So there's 110, 120 domains, right? Depend the version of a NIST standard that you're looking at. Once 800-171 is the uh, kind of the one that's used the most. Uh, there are others, but that's the one that most everyone refers to. And they're not just cyber compliance. They're, there's the aspects of business, uh, business continuity. There's aspects of uh, even what happens, like change management, things like that, uh, with regards to data access control and auditability. So, and so these aspects for the, our listeners that are looking to do anything with the uh, with the federal government, it's either going to be NIST or CMMC is going to be one of the two major kind of pushes uh, towards compliance in order to be able to do work with them. Uh, and this is happening now. So at some point in the future, what happens is. Uh, if there's an if there's a NIST compliance requirement, then you may you might not be able to bid on it on that job if you aren't under that compliance. So that's kind of how this is working, uh, or what sort of the vision is towards the future is protecting essentially yourself in order to protect uh, the government or the agencies is kind of the thought process there, and that's the standard. It's a very very full encompassing standard there. And that uh, obviously to uh, your advocacy that you're doing does make it very difficult because of the price of entry to become compliant. Obviously you have to have somebody to do that for you. Aside from insurance as well, another another dollar amount that makes it hard. So it's, it becomes another barrier. So I could totally see how, you know, the work that you're doing with the, uh, with the, federation makes tons of sense like it just these are these are the issues that like very important to have like we can't like just be willy-nilly but at the same time makes it almost impossible for certainly a small business women-owned minority-owned business to get a seat at the table just to play just to bid like i can't even bid on the job like i can't like i can't even bid on the job which becomes um obviously unfortunate yep yep so we we have not you know began to fight that fight you know, one, we think it, we understand the compliance uh, requirement. We, we, we get it. And we want to make sure that we're prepping our, our members up now to to where, where possible that they are already kind of leaning that way before it is a mandate here locally. Mm-hmm. But if it continues to be as po- costly as it is, you know, I think that would be a conversation that we would later have because that becomes another mm-hmm. wealth-based barrier for mm-hmm. our small women-owned firms. So, Yeah. But we'll we'll tackle, we'll fight that fight when it comes. But right now we are trying to educate our firms of being more, you know, uh savvy uh when it comes to their technology. And as as we know, AI is 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 really entering in our in, in into our world and 
And it, as cool as it is, it's also very scary. And we, we, I don't think we even understand what's yet to come and, and, you know, the positive and the negative sides of it. And so we'll see how it impacts our industry and, and we'll be ready to, um, you know, to respond accordingly. Yeah, no, uh, awesome, awesome thoughts there. All right, now to our last question that we ask everybody. So we're excited to hear your answer to this. When we make our inevitable coffee table book and we put all the answers in there, you can get a copy because you'll be part of it. So uh, if you could go back 20 years, uh, that's 2003, uh, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself in 2003? Other than tell your sister that she could be in construction. <laughs> we'll go over that uh, you know, issue. But other than that, what what's the thing you tell yourself? Uh, 2003, I was a uh, junior, uh, senior rising at uh, Alabama State University, uh, getting ready to, uh, you know, finish my last year, majoring in business administration, finance, just trying to paint the picture of where I was in my life at the time. Mm -hmm. sure. uh, I would tell myself to go after it, go for it, Jamie. I think sometimes as women, uh, there's a, a statistic that says, uh, men only have to be uh, sixty percent certain before making a decision, whereas a woman has have to be like ninety nine percent certain before they're making a decision. And so we doubt doubt ourselves, or we're more hesitant to just go after it. Right? We have to make sure it's perfect, or everything is in the right position. And so I would just simply tell myself, Jamie, just go for it. Just do it. Align yourselves with the right people. Uh, be prepared for the right moment. Show up um, even when you don't think, you know, maybe this isn't the room. Maybe I'm not ready. Show up anyway. And the universe will have its way of aligning you with everything that you have coming. It's awesome. Go for it. Go, go for after it. it. I love it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, you know, I I can probably go on and on, but I think, you know, there's always learning lessons to life. And I think by way of uh, my professional experience, uh, banking, legislation and, and construction, they all they all connect. Right. And I think if we leverage every opportunity that we have, it just promotes us to our next one. And so we can't get there if we just don't start here. Well said. Very well said. Thank you for your insights, Jamie. You have been awesome today. I hope that our listeners uh, feel the same. And uh, if if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Absolutely. You can visit our website. We are at www.fwcchicago.com, uh, Federation of Women Contractors. You can also find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Myself. You, I can be found at Jamie, and that's J-A-E-M-I-E-L, Neely, and as an Nancy, E-E-L-Y, also on LinkedIn. Uh, I look forward to connecting with you all as well as your your uh, your your viewers or subscribers and uh, look forward to having the conversation of keeping diversity as a priority in our construction industry. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I will drop all of that in the show notes and we had an amazing time with you so thank you for your time and for our listeners uh, until next time adios adios awesome thank you guys thanks for listening to building scale to help us reach even more people please share this episode with a friend a colleague or on social media remember the three pillars of scaling a business are people 
process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.